If you press a play, good job. Welcome to episode 6. I am Umberto 19 and this is Get the Bug. that explores the question what if insects are the next game changers welcome to get the bug as some of you already know i am a documentary photographer and a filmmaker and i'm collecting material about the potential role of insects in environmental and social challenges To do this, I've been traveling around the world, taking photographs, of course, and talking to world experts, visionary entrepreneurs, activists, and people working in the field. In this episode, we will come back to Wageningen University in the Netherlands. Wageningen University is one of the best universities worldwide in the field of life sciences. Previously, you have listened to Marcel Dick, director of the Laboratory of Entomology, and Arno van Haus, Emeritus Professor of Wageningen Agriculture University. In this episode, you will listen to the conversation I had with Dennis Onins, researcher for the Animal Nutrition Group at the Department of Animal Science. Dennis' PhD was on insects as food and feed, focused on environmental sustainability and nutrient composition. Then, his postdoctoral studies were focused on safety aspects, nutritional value of insects, and how to manipulate their composition. So, in this episode, we will talk extensively these arguments. And remember, not to miss the big picture, listen to the introductory special episode of Get the Bug. Producing meat, producing cheese, producing eggs, so animal products, means a lot of manure. Insects could mitigate the manure environmental impact, as to say greenhouse gases. I would like today to talk with you about the problem and the potential role of insects as part of the solution. The problem that we are creating, and then I'm, I'm primarily looking at the Netherlands because this is a, a very hot thing here, um, we import animal feed for cattle, for pigs, for poultry. Then we rear these animals. We have meat products that we sell and export. And then the manure stays here. So the, the, the ecological cycle is then broken or disrupted. So we import protein-containing compounds. Here we use that in part to produce animal products. And then we have nitrogen-containing Uh, products that are left over in the form of manure that can lead to ammonia emissions, which uh, disrupt the nitrogen balance. And there's also nitrous oxide that can be produced, which is a very powerful greenhouse gas. If you can make it more circular, if you can uh, create a system in which uh, the outputs of one system form the inputs of the next then there should not be such a problem. Some nitrous oxide can be emitted. That can also be degraded over the long term. That's a point of concern. But if you look at ammonia emissions, then this ammonia can reach the soil, can be a certain form of nitrogen. 
plants can grow on that. And if you use those plants as a, uh, a feedstock, then the ammonia that is being emitted from that feedstock, indirectly by the animal, can again go to the plants. The problem is that we take our nitrogen from somewhere else, then we import it here, and then we are left with a material that we are not able to use or not allowed to use in a proper way. Yeah, and this is where insects could become part of a more circular process. And I have a question about it. One of the insect byproducts are fertilizers, but manure was always used as a fertilizer. So which could be the benefits of introducing insects? It depends a lot on uh, which species you're talking about, of course. Um, I think you've spoken to my colleague, uh, Stefan Chia, and I think he has done some, uh, some work on this also regarding uh, plant growth. But in the end, uh, whether it's insect frass or a different material, by itself, it's still a, a waste product. But if you take manure from a, a livestock animal, so you take poultry manure, you put fly larvae on there, then there will be residual material. But it will be more dry than a manure, so there will be uh, less uh, volatile compounds emitted. Um, there will be nitrogen taken out, so the protein that is there will be utilized by these housefly larvae. And then you, uh, you are left with a, a dry, carbon-rich uh, source of fertilizer. So it's, it's a manure, but it's a, it's a way of processing the manure. Very, very clear, thanks. And, um, but let, let's go back to your explanation, because as, as we said, thrust is just one of the byproducts. Well, you make two different types of products from this, uh, this uh, manure, so the poultry manure as an example, right? Then you get uh, the insect, which is an uh, important source of protein and fat, which you can use as uh, livestock feed. And you have the frost that is left over, which can then be utilized as a source of uh, fertilizer. Then it depends on what you would normally be doing. If you use this frost uh, to replace uh, artificial fertilizer, then we are making steps in the right direction. Because else you would have an, an extra source of nitrogen being put on the land, and now you're using the nitrogen that is being contained in the frost. So that's where there is a, a first environmental benefit. As far as I understand, there are now also indications that plants do better and there are, when they grow on frass. And the, re the, the question is why that exactly is. There are different uh, ideas on that. Uh, supposedly, the, the nitrogen compounds in the frass are more suitable to be utilized by the plant but also leftover insect materials such as uh, <clears throat> the exoskeleton, so chitin-rich material, can also benefit the soil uh, community. So the, the, uh, the animals, bacteria, etc., living uh, in the soil. And that by itself can help the plant, which can then lead to better yields. You and your colleagues have calculated the environmental impact of meat production from mealworm farming. How and which are the conclusions? Let me take one step back. I started my PhD in 2008, and what I started doing was reading as much as I could to get an understanding of the topic. And at that time, there was not so much written, so it was actually feasible to read just about everything that was there. 
And then there was the, the work of uh, Jean de Foliard, who was one of the, the first godfathers, I would say, of uh, eating insects. And in his work, he, did, he suggested that insects were sustainable. But at, in no place was I able to find if that was actually true, someone that actually quantified that. So then the idea came to, well, to see if that's actually correct or not. Then the first thing that you want to do is figure out, so what is the, the, the basis that you want to compare on? And that's called the so-called functional unit. And we chose edible protein because we considered insects as a source of protein or these mealworms as a source of protein. And therefore, we use that as the, the, well, the, the, the key figure. And then you want to know which type of environmental impact you want to assess because there are many, many different criteria. And we chose to work on global warming potential, so the effect it has on, on greenhouse gas emissions and global warming uh, as a whole. Uh, the use of fossil fuels, because it was already clear that that would be a, a limiting factor. And we looked at land use, which is also clearly a limiting factor. With a growing population uh, and a not growing planet, you will have uh, fewer square meters available per person. So you have to use that efficiently. So those were the environmental uh, uh, parameters that we quantified. And then it's, it's a bit of bookkeeping what you do. So you try to figure out, so what goes into the system? You describe the system, you see the inputs and the outputs. So you know how much feed with which composition is coming in. And you know how many mealworms are coming out. If you know how much uh, protein is in these mealworms, then you can quantify the functional unit of the production system, so how much protein is being produced, and then you look at the inputs to see how much does it cost environmentally. So how, how many square meters are being used to produce this feed, um, how, mu how uh, much fossil energy is being used for this production, uh, also in the system itself, of course. And then you can say for one kilogram of uh, edible protein from mealworms, this is the environmental impact. Then you compare that with other studies to see how you rank. So how well is it doing on the, the, the whole scale? What we found is that the energy use of this system was actually quite high, uh, which makes sense because they are animals that require a certain ambient temperature. And although right now the temperatures are quite high, um, that's not the case throughout the year. So you, there's a lot of energy going into that system. Then we looked at uh, uh, the, the global warming potential. And the global warming potential, that's not just energy use, because, of course, using fossil fuels also uh, creates uh, emissions, but also the feed production uh, is associated with uh, greenhouse gas emissions. And when you compare that, they were, the mealworms were actually a fairly sustainable source. They were very similar to uh, poultry. I'm saying this by heart now and better than the figures that we have for pigs and for cattle. But that was a, a, already a good thing, at least from my perspective. It was a, a little bit surprising. And then we looked at uh, land use, and also there they were quite efficient. So they were able to utilize their feed very efficiently, and therefore would require fewer square meters of uh, land uh, to produce edible protein for human consumption. Yeah, well, thanks for being so exhaustive. 
because I like to, to discuss, and I did it in this podcast, the anthropological point of view or the historical one. But I also like to talk, as we are doing, about research and being a little bit more specific. So you wrote on nutritional value of insects and ways to manipulate their composition. And I read in an interview you saying yellow mealworms could reach a concentration of vitamin D similar to tuna or salmon. Insects are, however, animals, per se. And animals have a certain composition. They are normally high in protein and high in fat. These proteins are made up from uh, amino acids, so these are the building blocks of proteins, and that's what uh, you and I use to, to maintain and grow our body. Vitamin D is a bit of a, a strange comp component. You make vitamin D. So if we go out in the sun today, then the sun will touch your skin. And in your skin, there is a so-called precursor, uh, 7-DHC. You can forget the, the, the number and the letters. Uh, but if it's touched by UV light and then is in a warm place, as it, as it is in your skin, you will be creating vitamin D which then is taken up by your body and then further used for your own metabolism. And a few years ago, the, the, the question came up, do insects actually do so? And that was not known, so that was a very interesting thing to, to look into. And we found very strong differences between different species. For black soldier fly larvae, we were not able to show any synthesis at all. For crickets and locusts, we found synthesis, but at a fairly low level. But for mealworms, we found staggering levels of vitamin D. And indeed, if you would expose them for uh, several hours to UV light, even with a low intensity, you would uh, create a very high vitamin D content. So as such, these mealworms would be uh, uh, a very good source of dietary vitamin D. Now, the question is, if insects are the best way to get your vitamin D status, if you go outside, then uh, you will synthesize your own vitamin D. But if you look at uh, what we are doing now, we, yeah, it's beautiful weather outside, but we are sitting inside, behind a laptop, at a desk, and at that moment, you are not making any vitamin D. So even if the circumstances outside are suitable, you are not using that. And there's people living in very northern countries, where there simply is not enough sunshine with the right potency to create this vitamin D. There are people with dark skin, which limits the formation of vitamin D. There are people that cover themselves if they go outside. So also they do not make a lot of vitamin D. So if you have certain uh, uh, Arab countries, then if people are completely covered, then you can have as much sunshine as you want, but you will not have enough vitamin D from the sunshine, so you will have to uh, take that in dietarily. And then insects, or at least mealworms, would be a potentially suitable source. Doing these interviews in these in this months for the podcast, I'm starting to be aware of different ways of thinking of people in this, in, in this sector. So let's say the following questions are my personal survey. <laughs> so do you think insects as feed are just a step in the direction of insects as food? 
or in Europe or in the US, insects will never be ordinary human food. And are insects part of your diet? I don't think that at a certain moment I will say, no, no, I don't want any bacon anymore. I just want crickets. So I think in my diet that can uh, there can be niches or ingredients from different sources. And certain insect species can be such a source. Uh, been to Laos, and then there would be a little bar, you would have a nice beer in the evening, and you would get some very nice, very good-tasting crickets there. So that's a food insect. If you look at uh, certain fly larvae, then they tend to be very efficient. So you can actually make a sensible production system in which you use them as feed. I'm, I doubt whether these will be seen as a suitable source of food for people. I know that there are some suggestions now coming up to use black soldier fly larvae not just as feed, but also as food. And of course, if you process them uh, far enough, long enough, then it's just a bundle of nutrients that you take apart and then you can reform it and use it as food. So that might have some possibilities, but I'm a little bit uh, reluctant there. However, if you can use them as an in-between step, indeed, to have a waste or a byproduct converted into a high-protein-containing larvae, which you then use as input for a poultry production system, then it makes perfect sense. So it's depending on the insect species that you use, that's the first thing, and then it depends a little bit on the consumer as well. So you listening to the conversation I had with Dennis Onins, researcher for the Animal Nutrition Group at the Department of Animal Science. Listening back to this conversation and looking at the pictures I took, I got the same feeling as when I was there. So that there are people out there, as Dennis, taking care of the planet with expertise, commitment and passion. This makes me feel better, and I hope you too. And I also hope you will share this episode with everyone you know who cares about the environment, is curious about life science, insects and nutrition, and is open to new ways of thinking. I do believe insects could be the next game changer. And that's why I'm working on my photo book and doing this podcast. Thank you for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to Get the Bug.